there has to be a purpose in what you do. Otherwise, you're wasting time. And that's one thing that we don't have more of. Welcome to Leaders Labyrinth. I am your host, Michael Grant. We take you on a journey with resilient individuals who share how they have achieved the extraordinary. This show is designed to empower you to take the lead in your life's quest through the wisdom of our leaders, inflicting truth, possibility, and fueling your hearts with passion of what sets your souls on fire to becoming your best version of self. Rumi, the 13th century scholar, theologian, and world's most popular poet of all time once said, the universe is not outside of you. Look inside yourself. Everything that you want, you already are. Today's leader in our labyrinth is an award-winning real estate investor and public speaker. He has been featured in magazines like Private Lender, Community Investor, Realty 411, Investor Quarterly, and Today's Practice. He used to host his own real estate investing show on Bloomberg Radio. He has spoken to large audiences all over the country, and his story is absolutely captivating. It is my great pleasure to introduce to you a dear friend of mine, Ivan Oberon. All right, we're here in the labyrinth with Ivan Oberon here at his humble abode in Camarillo, California. Ivan, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well, man. Happy Saturday. It is a happy Saturday. <laughs> Hope we can make it happier for everybody listening. Um, yeah, you, you sound awesome. <laughs> you got a great voice for podcasting. Thanks, man. Yeah, you know, I used to I used to do this for for a little bit as uh, oh yeah part of part of my entrepreneurial journey. It was one of okay. those things of just just uh, getting out there and getting getting your voice heard. And so we did we did a little bit of a podcast. And sometimes I miss it. Sometimes I miss it. Uh, so I'm excited actually when you asked me to be on here. It's like you know what? Like maybe I should I should look at my equipment once again that I haven't touched for years. So I'm happy to be here. Amazing man, amazing. Did you have your own show before? Well, ironically, is I never had a podcast necessarily, but we turned it into a podcast. We actually had a live radio show called Investing Coast to Coast, and we were on five days a week That's live. Awesome. And man, you think like when you go into something like that, you know, we can commit an hour a day just to get our voice out there. We'd, we'd get professionals from various parts of the real estate investing industry on our show and all that kind of stuff. And, and it was just, man, it wasn't an hour commitment per day. It's like an hour before, it's an hour show, and then you have to do the debrief with your partner, and, and it was just like three hours a day. We did it for a year, and then finally, it's like, you know what, we're not, we're not necessarily, I think we, we tapped out the return of this time and money commitment, because we were, we were broadcast live on Bloomberg Radio, so there was, there was a lot involved, and we finally just stopped it, and, and, uh, but man, that, we learned a lot during that year. It was, it was kind of fun. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. I could probably learn so much from you then. <laughs> I don't know about that, man. You're, you're, you're with the times. I don't know what's going on today. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, it's good to have someone seasoned, you know, mm. in the labyrinth here. Awesome, my friend. Awesome. Awesome. So I know you got a lot of recognition for your work in real estate. You've been mentioned in a lot of different magazines. Uh, you've been uh, given a lot of different types of awards and also on the speaker circuit. Uh, you've um, impacted thousands of people across the country, been on Bloomberg radio. Um, I want to 
explore that in just a moment, but mm. I also want to kind of dive into who is Ivan Oberon and <laughs> uh, get a little kind of kind of context on, you know, what are some parts maybe of your journey mm. where you feel that they were pivotal, pivotal on you becoming the person you are today or things that were impactful in your life, maybe in your childhood or early adult life, uh, wherever mm. you want to start definitely is a good place. Yeah, man. Sometimes you say you start at the beginning, but that's, uh, I think that's, that's, I think that's too far. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I guess, uh, I'll say that my dad was an influence in me getting into entrepreneurship for sure. And he was just a, he was just an amazing man. You know, this, this week was three years since we lost him. And, uh, it was also, it would have been his 94th birthday. And I think about him all the time and I think about what he would think because the world has changed so much mm. just since we lost him. I mean, the world's changed so much in two years, but man, what a dramatic change. And I was thinking this week, man, I wonder what you would think about like what our kids are going through right now, what the world is going through, what his opinions, just, just to have a, a nightcap with you and just, man, he was, he was just a wealth of, of knowledge and wow. information and wow. life experience. And, and, and honestly, he was, uh, really all, always an entrepreneur. Wow. I, I remember growing up, I used to see what my dad did and I never knew uh, a lot about my dad's past. Nobody did. Uh, he grew up in uh, Budapest, Hungary during Hitler's regime. And it's, wow. it's a story that I don't get into often. But it's, it's one that I'm proud to, to talk about. Um, I never got to know any of my dad's family. Most of them were murdered during that time uh, because my, my dad's family was kind of a pivotal, they played a pivotal role in one of the many groups that were against Hitler in those days. And so as they were helping the Jews and doing different things, they were persecuted, they were murdered, they were hunted down. And my dad really, he, he started out in uh, pretty much training for a secret service since he was like 11 years old. And he went into some some stuff that, I mean, it's it's a crazy story. Finally got a manuscript. We're gonna we're gonna do something with that. But I remember his passion was archaeology. So among all the different things that my dad did, I, I came to find out one time when he took me to to Edzna and the Yucatan, uh, how revered he was out there. I found out that he was a doctor in archaeology. I found out like all these things that were just the last like 15 years of his life where he, Incredible. where he realized that he was reaching that end point. And although he'd been faced with mortality so many times in his life, I say that I'm a miracle that I'm here. And I know a little bit about my dad's story um, that really ended in like 1955, the, the story story. And then of course the rest of his life. But the fact that I'm alive is a miracle because what he survived and what he went through and that he was actually able to reproduce and all these different things. It's just, <laughs> he's just a wild man. So I, you know, I call him the real most interesting man in the world. Well, I'd, I'd love to just cheers to your, to your father. My condolences. Thanks like brother. An amazing human being. Thanks man. Thank you for opening up. So it's, it's tough. You know, we have a, have a picture of him up, up there still. That was from thing we put up on his funeral and we honor him out there. And That's why he looks so good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I guess, uh, so we get it from now. I get it. I get it. Well, cause my, you know, my dad has had the nice, uh, I guess, uh, European blood. My mom was Spanish. Uh -huh. So it's, okay. it's kind of, okay. I guess I get that. I could see that. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, I remember seeing, not ever knowing anything about my dad growing up. I always saw antiquities. I always saw these crazy artifacts. I always saw art and really old documents and stuff that I had no clue about, stuff that I had no appreciation for, stuff, really a, a world that he didn't really 
bring me into or bring us into. I just knew this, this is stuff. And dad w- would leave for a, a, a period of time. Then he would come back and, and uh, never knowing that he was actually uh, really an antiquities dealer uh, for archaeological things and and uh, and ancient things, you know, if it, if it wasn't at least three hundred fifty years old, he was just like whatever. Kind of <laughs> like, like Indiana Jones, exactly. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, he so cool. he lived that life, man, and, <laughs> and he was part of a, a very pivotal discovery out there in a, in, a, in a little Mayan place called Edzna. Um, and anyway, that's that's a whole other story. But okay, but I remember thinking to myself when I was a kid, even in, in, in middle school, seeing that. Dad had gotten some stuff, right? And then I, I obviously put the correlation that this cost, this stuff must have cost him some money. And then I knew that he sometimes he had stuff for years and years and years, right? Because in that market, in the antiquities market, and archaeology and and collectors market, it's it, it one collector could set the value of this thing, but it might only be one person that wants that, and you got to find him. He might be somewhere in the world, but who knows? Right? So there's stuff that he kept for 10, 20, 30, 40 years that he couldn't get a return. He didn't sell it. So I used to think, I remember having this thought like, man, what my dad does is really risky. Like if this piece just cost him $15,000, there's no guarantee that he's going to be able to resell it for a profit, right? Mm-hmm. And somehow, somehow he did, right? Or sometimes, sometimes he took a loss or sometimes... He was robbed. Sometimes he was, you know, there's all kinds of crazy cloak and dagger type stuff that wow. that uh, went on and carrying things across country, you know, country lines and state lines and different, just different wild stuff in that, in that what, whole industry. What is, what is an artifact that, that resonated with you or something that was really kind of out there, very unique? You know, it wasn't necessarily an artifact. It was this piece that my dad actually fell in love with. And uh, it was a it was a Rodin bronze sculpture of this lady, and it was just basically from from her neck up, and it was just the head and just the way that it was uh, positioned and her expression. And he could have gotten a lot of money for that piece, and he just he, it's just one of those things that he he just couldn't bear to part with it. He just wow. fell in love with that piece, and, and I remember growing up with it. I remember, you know, into my adult years. I remember even when my dad passed, um, there he had finally put it on consignment with one of the people that do that kind of stuff. What is consignment? Oh, well, I guess that's just that was just my word for it. I don't know oh, if, okay. if I, but but basically, where you have a uh, a dealer that deals in that kind of thing, and sometimes they'll have auctions, sometimes they'll have shows, and, and people will come in and, and they'll sell it, right? And then they'll take a commission for selling that piece for the owner. So if my dad couldn't find the direct buyer himself, sometimes he used other people that, that put on these larger events and did, did some reach outreach to those that type of community. Um, and and then uh, they took a, a percentage off the top when they when they sold it right 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 so that that's one piece that just really stuck out to me because i mean i've seen ancient everything from ancient uh mayan artifacts african artifacts uh, all kinds of crazy old school like biblical like weapons and armors and and things that were actually in certain historical biblical battles oh my goodness and and wow. dude and you know wow. so all those things are of course impactful and there's a reverence to those things um do you, you believe know, that like there's energies that attach themselves to objects kind of like you ever heard of ed and lorraine warren they do the conjuring movies on they have you know a place where they have all their artifacts from all their research mm, as paranormal investigators sure that they keep blessed and locked in a room because there's 
well, those yes. ones have like negative energies attached to it. I, I fully believe that yeah. that things can attach uh, I do too, energy, yeah. positive energy, negative energy. I believe things can can be consecrated. I believe things can be blessed. I believe things can be cursed. Uh, I do, and there's there is an energy uh, in this world. I mean, we're really I think regardless of what your faith is, I think we can all agree that we're all energy, right? So, and there's a source to that energy, right? And energy does make an impact. And you, you know, if you don't believe that, listen to really angry music and tell me how you feel and then listen to opera and then tell me how you feel and listen to to some melodic thing and tell me how you feel and tell me which way you feel better right and tell me how the cells are resonating in your body like it's that's why music is a universal language and that's why it's so important and so dangerous sometimes especially in our younger generation but in our in our own mental health i mean adults struggle with mental health just as much as, as kids do i just think kids struggle with mental health more now than they ever have before and it's a sensitive thing to me because I have kids, right? But yeah, no, absolutely. And one of the coolest stories, though, um, my dad was one of those men, one of those people that could get into wherever you weren't supposed to get into, right? He, he just the way <laughs> the way that he learned and knew, and and you know, if if you act like you're supposed to be there, oftentimes people won't question you. People won't often question the person that has the most confidence, right? right? Even if, yeah. even if like you're whatever, and then he would make people wonder whether or not they were correct. Like, oh yeah, well, I, I, I don't know. Again, maybe I'm the power, wrong. The like, power right? of belief, it, man. Oh my gosh, the power man. of belief is like the most you powerful know? force. You and know? my dad was a force. My dad yeah. was a force. Uh, people would hang up the phone growing up. Like when my dad would answer the phone, they'd hang up the phone because they 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 grow speechless. They wouldn't know what. To, you know, like it was, it was just one of those things. My dad was a force and, and he loved hard and, and, um, but one of the coolest stories, um, of something that my dad found and did and I, and I, and I don't, I don't remember the names specifically, but I'll try to do my best with, with the significance of it. There was during the second world war, there was a, there was a procession um, from, you know, the military and different things. And there was a, a specific flag that was flown in front of Hitler during that procession. Somehow decades later, my dad tracked down that exact flag, procured it, kept it. And years later, uh, you know, boxed it up, whatever, gave it as a gift to this you know, high-ranking senator because he knew he had a history and he had like he would so my dad your was dad found it through the artifactual community through his world yeah yeah, yeah absolutely I, wow. I call it a cloak and dagger world but through his world he somehow he found it he ended up procuring it he kept it and see my, my dad it was old school man my dad never yeah. contracts was all handshakes and and looking people in the eye and giving your word that's, that's all it Love was it. but he was also he he knew he was very very good at understanding kind of like what people's interests were. Sometimes not all all the time, right? He you know he he always give us gifts and was like, well, I, you clearly don't know what I like, but you, you know, <laughs> right? But that was just his way. You uh -huh. know, he showed up to the house with like random fruits and different things. Just you know, he had a way of showing love that maybe wasn't what all my siblings desired but that was his way. 
Sometimes it's the thought right. that counts, Sometimes right? it, that is the, just the epitome the of action. thanks, dad. And, you know, and as soon as you leave, it goes in the trash type of thing. But you accept the gift gracefully. You accept Absolutely. the gift because it's a gift of love. It's not the, the thing. It's about the giver and why they're giving it. And, and some it. people just don't understand that. Love it. They, they just don't. And and so you have to make a choice. I have to make a choice. Do you, what's more important, my relationship with my father and like the intention behind this, or the stupid thing that that doesn't matter. You, you, it could be the, the best thing in the world, like something I've wanted forever. That thing is still not going to make matter at all when you compare it against the relationship. Right? It's going to fade tomorrow. So anyway, so he was good at. But in this particular case, you know, he was very. He, sometimes he was spot on. And so he gained favor in different circles and different places and different things because this was a very significant piece and he gifted it to this individual uh, that uh, ultimately ended up putting it in a, in a museum. Incredible. Right. So, um, but that's probably, yeah, I guess, you know, that didn't necessarily mean anything to me, but that was probably one of the coolest things that I know that my dad did. And, and I'm sure there was hundreds of other things like that that I never Wow, did, what, never what, a, what a life. And the oh way the way he got to experience the world in so many different cultures and time periods, mm -hmm. and got to relive so many of those moments, and and he lived like one yeah. of the things after I finally met, read his manuscript, mm -hmm. uh, because he he was almost forced into it. So he has he has a manuscript. Is it public? No. Okay. He tried to publish it because again, you know, my dad's very pragmatic, entrepreneurial. Well, I guess we'll get back to that. But right. um, he's like, well, if I'm going to do this, because he never wanted. To, tell a story. He never wanted to talk about it. He never wanted to, my mom never knew about any, most, most things, right? He kept it all. And that's another level of respect that I have for him because mm. the things that he went through are, are some of the most horrific things that you could ever imagine. Right. And somehow he still found my mom and that's a very cool story how he courted her and brought us to the United States and gave us a life. And he had his quirks, but when you talk about not having full on PTSD, completely functioning, completely just everything. And, and by all means, I have a lot of veteran friends. PTSD is a real thing. Um, but Absolutely. the fact that my dad was able to compose himself with the, the, the horrors that he experienced and the losses that he, that he had early on in his, in his life and, and even into his adult years, um, it's something to be admired and something is just remarkable to me because I, cause I couldn't even imagine. I couldn't even, I couldn't even imagine. Um, but I never thought that I could be an entrepreneur, right? Cause it was just like, man, I, thought, I remember having that thought, man, this is risky. My dad's taking a risk. And so later on, you know, in life you go and you, you do your thing. And, you know, I've always, I've always been, I've always had a good work ethic. I've, I've worked since I was 14 years old. Like I've always kind of been out there to, to want to do things but I also always worked for somebody else, right? I got licenses, but I had a, I had a job. I had this and that, and and what were you doing at fourteen? Uh, well, I, I guess before that, even yeah, I wanted a pair of rollerblades when they first came out. And this is this is dating me a little bit, but my dad wouldn't get them for me because again, he's very very pragmatic, and he went through a great depression, like all the, certain things that you just can't get out of yourself, right? So he's like, I'm not gonna. I don't know what they were back in you know the the eighties, but it's like over a hundred bucks for a pair of rollerblades, right? This new thing, it's like I'm not paying a hundred bucks for that, right? Right, one hundred sixty bucks for that. It's just a fad. It'll, you know, they'll come down, but if you really want a pair, yeah, figure it out. Okay. So I started knocking on doors and 
pulling weeds for my neighbors and just asking people if I could do anything to help them around the house. Right. Yeah. And so I guess I had an entrepreneurial spirit in in a sense, uh, even then, but you know, and then the occasional, uh, older lady would come and of course feed me cookies and, 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 uh, (laughs) lemonade and different things. And I think they were more happy to just have me there than to do the work, you know? So (laughs) that's cool. It's a win-win. Yeah. So I started doing some of that. And then, uh, my first, first job was at, uh, at the Harbor in Ventura. I was renting out kayaks and, and, uh, the, the paddle boats and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, sounds like fun. Yeah. So you grew up out here. Yeah. I grew up Ventura in Ventura. County. I grew up in Ventura. I started, okay. started third grade in, in Ventura, grew up there. Uh, I've been in Camarillo now for about 18 years and, uh, love, love it here. Oh, it's great. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's one of the best places in, some people don't realize it, but Ventura County as a whole has been voted the, the best place to live in the world many, many times. When you consider all the factors of, of climate, opportunity, safety, beauty, access to everything, you know, oceans, mountains, hiking, entertainment, like everything. Uh, the only thing that we've got to contend with is that sunshine tax and the cost of gas. But uh, and sometimes the politics are kooky. But other than that, <laughs> it's, it's, hard to, right. it's hard to leave California. Yeah, yeah, Ventura's like in that Goldilocks zone. It's just like never gets like too hot. You've yeah. got access to the beach. It's a good people. And Camarillo's perfect because mm-hmm. it's always about eight degrees warmer than Ventura. So when Ventura's chilly, mm-hmm. it's comfortable here, but it's always about eight to 10 degrees cooler than the valley. So when it's 110, it's it's in the high 80s and it's just it's just perfect. It's so great because it's like life kind of slows down here a little bit. A little like bit. You still have access to L.A. where it's exactly. a lot faster lifestyle. But here it's like there's a lot of farmland, agriculture. Yeah. You know, people are just more at peace. It's more like a small town vibe. Yeah. Well, Gulf Ventura Forces. County was always a farming community. Mm-hmm. And even even still, even though it's been fully developed and, and it's hard to even see uh, crops growing anymore, except for some places in the freeway, uh, we still have some of the, the biggest production of certain things. Like we are the biggest produ- produ- producer of celery in the world. If you can believe that, I have no idea. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, we're one of the biggest producers. So if you're eating celery right now, it came from uh, Ventura uh, County. Potentially came from Ventura <laughs> County. Um, uh, Raspberries—they're uh, huge here in, in Ventura County, and, and I have a couple of, couple of former clients that actually are the the farmers who who actually grow those. That's wild. There's a, a That's fan, wild. It's a fantastic multi generational Japanese family, and an amazing multi generational um, uh, Hispanic family. And just amazing, amazing, from nothing to greatness stories in, in the ag community here in Ventura County. So, it's a special place. So yeah. if you haven't been to Ventura County, come check it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, your dad had a lot of impact on the way you I looked at life. You're, you had a very strong relationship. Um, and it seems like you, just, yeah. you learned so much yeah. from his example. Um so what kind of examples did he leave you with, like going into your adult life that do you think really kind of helped you um, in this entrepreneurial um, path? Mm. Well, I mean, the, the, I guess the primary example would be absolute unrelenting perseverance. Mm. Absolutely. In a thing, because my dad's been beat down physically, you know, literally and figuratively in life and business and, and relationships wow. with, with, uh, you know, associates and partners and, and different things all throughout the years. And my dad never developed a negative attitude. My dad never developed a, uh, 
you know, granted that there are certain people that he'd rather not have anything to do with and doesn't necessarily have the highest opinion of because they, they stole, you know, tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars from yeah, him. And the, you know, all the, you know, so there's certain things that you just had to cut th- things off. For sure. Right? But he was never bitter. He never complained about anything. He never complained when he was the multiple different types of cancers that he had and that he beat and that he went through and always refusing chemo and telling the doctors what to do. Cause you know, my dad, my dad was a very learned man. He, it's one thing that I think kept him going so long is that his, he always trained his mind. He always fed his mind things. There's never a time where he wasn't reading something, you know, and, and, uh, the only man I ever knew that could have a conversation with anybody about anything, as long as they were interested, right? As long mm-hmm. as they showed, but I remember being at an event one time and, he, and then there's this electrical engineer there talking about this and that my dad jumps into the conversation, starts talking all kinds of crazy electrical engineering terms about this and that. And the other thing I was like, are you freaking kidding me right now? That's awesome. You know, and he, <laughs> and he could do it in six different languages too. So there was a, um, wow. He had a mind, he had a mind. Um, so that, and, you know, throughout my life, my dad always suggested, you know, has suggestions for us of what to do, what to do. You know, I, I remember in the, I guess it was late 80s, my dad suggested one time, you know, as, as we're thinking about my future, you know, I'm becoming a, uh, a young man and, and he's like, I think you should look into computers. I was like, what are you talking about, Dad? Like, that's crazy. I mean, I think there was a computer in a room somewhere that, that it took eight hours to boot up and like I really didn't have any interest. This you know, is this is early on. There was no cell phones. Right? There was like the the, yeah. the best thing you had was a was a pager. And if you had a pager <laughs> you were cool. If you had two you were probably selling drugs. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things that that I was like, Dad, like, what are you talking about? And then you look back, I was like, that man was a visionary. Like look at where computers went and look at like the life that somebody that did get start getting into computers into the in the eighties and the early nineties man, it's, it, be, it became the future and we should try this and you should try that. And it was always no dad, no oh, thanks dad, but no dad, thanks dad, but no dad, thanks dad, but no that dad. And <clears throat> until that, my tune changed one day and you know, they say that people are either drawn towards pleasure or they're re- repelled against pain. Right. Something, something moves people. You either move towards something, you want to move away from something. Brilliant. Right. And that's, and that's where, where I found myself. Um, and I don't know, 12 years ago. And I ended up going through a divorce. And it was uh, not, not a fun thing. And I worked uh, in the insurance business back then. And I actually, I worked for my ex-in-laws and my ex-wife was the office manager. So the conundrum there was that they didn't want me to leave because I was, I didn't do anything wrong. And I was, you know, one of their, their top producers and well, but they weren't going to have their daughter leave either because she was their daughter. So of course they're going to support her and be on her side and, and whatever. So, and I couldn't just leave either. Right. I had, I had built a business. I'd been in the business for 10 years and I had a mortgage I was totally responsible for, young girls to take care of, and and so I had to I had to stick it out. You know, I had to I had to figure out what the heck I'm gonna do. And different people, of course, made different suggestions. Man, you should start your own insurance agency. You need to leave that place. Like it's so horrible for you to be there with, with all that's going on and with all that. And and uh, you know, I had to see her marry the guy that she had an affair with while I was there. And, you know, basically she was still cutting my checks and, and, 
there's conversations that happen every time that check was the different size, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. and, and I don't want to get too much into this story. I just want to give a little bit sure. of context. Only and the only reason I've gotten somewhat comfortable sharing that is because I know in this day and age, there's a lot of people that can relate to that type of situation. Not necessarily working with their ex-wives and whatever, but I learned, you know, God taught me a lot throughout that time mm-hmm. because I had to stick it out. I had to make a decision and I knew in, in my heart of hearts that I did not want to leave insurance for insurance. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but insurance wasn't something that I was passionate about. It was something I got into. It was a good business. It was a family business. Um, I was actually being repelled away from a different pain <laughs> when I when I, I did a year in the car business. Um, one of the, one of the managers talked me into going going in the car business. It's going to be great. He painted this amazing picture. Problem is, I was starting a young family, and no weekends, no holidays, no no nothing. It was just like no, not a lot of morals. You know, so it, it was everything not conducive to the life that I was working to build at the time, right? So I lasted a year before I said, okay, fine, I'll just, I'll go back to school, I'll get my licenses, because it wasn't the first time that, that the, the family had asked me, hey, you should join the family business. And it's just like, work in, in, in insurance and with my, no, no, that's not for me. Well, at the end of that year in the car business, I was like, all right, I think this probably sounds pretty good. Right? So I went to school. Yeah. I quit, the, I quit the, that job and I went to work uh, for uh, an old friend of mine who became a great mentor. Um, when I was in, in high school, I got into automobile customizing. So I used to, I learned a few trades, how to, how to install sunroofs on cars and window tint and, and leather seats and wood dashes, ruining spoilers, like all that whole, whole how, thing. How to really trick it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah I start, and I started working there in high school during the uh, the work release program for high school. So, right. So so it was pretty cool. So I learned to trade and I was with him and, and uh, he also ended up being a, a worship pastor. And so there was this amazing relationship that developed. And through that man, I met one of my very best friends who I've been friends with for 27 years. So it's just, you know, God, God puts things together for, for the right reason. But um, so I went back to work. I gave him a call. I said, hey, dude, can, I, I got to go back to school. I can't stay in this guy. Can I just come work with you? for this interim until I get my license and, and, and do something and, and it's okay. Like I'll figure out the money part. And so, so I did, I did that and then got my license, started, started working in the, in the insurance industry. But so fast forward to all these year, years later and I'm just hating life, you know, how old are you hating life in this, in this story? Um, well, let's see. I have to remember how old I am now. <laughs> Time just flies. <laughs> so I'm uh, but close to thirty. Yeah, thirty or so. And so you just went through your divorce. Well, I'm going through it. Or you're going through right, it. I'm going through you're it. Going through a career change. And yeah. um, I'm trying to figure out what do I want to do because I can't. I can't do this forever, right? And so. Of course, I start dreading going into the office more and more, and, and so of course my production starts to wean. So yeah, and then and then just being in that in, in that environment with this person. Usually, when people find that that kind of stuff out, there's a break, mm-hmm. and they don't see each other every day, right? Yeah, they, you, need, you need time to they, heal they do their own things. Like I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm living by myself now, and it's you know worst thing ever to come home, and all of a sudden your kids are gone, and everything is cleaned out of your house. And, and and what 
was supposed to be one thing wasn't that way. And then there's just, just, just this deafening quiet in the house that used to have little kids, you know? And so I couldn't, I mean, I went from a dual income household to a single income household in Southern California and I couldn't afford a bed. So I slept on an air mattress for about six months um, until I saved us some money for a bed. And cause I still had to pay, pay the mortgage. I still had to do all everything, you know, all the, all the bills, all the responsibilities, everything fell on me. And, uh, um, absolutely. It was, a, it was a struggle. And so, but I'm, but I'm doing this and, and here I am still like a year into this, still going into the agency. And here comes my dad with another one of his suggestions. Okay. He's like, you know what, son? Like, why don't you, why don't you look into flipping houses? Hmm. And usual fashion, I pushed back a little bit. I was like, Dad, like, what are you talking about? You know, I don't know anything about real estate. I don't have money to be buying houses in California. You know how expensive houses are here? And, and of course, the, it wasn't mainstream back then either. There were no HGTV shows. There were no shows on YouTube. Right, it was right. not a mainstream thing. It wasn't like a fad. No. Everybody it was, was not, doing it. Yeah. It, right. Obviously, yeah. People have been flipping houses for decades prior to that, but nobody really knew about it, right? Just the people in the business knew that you can flip a house and nobody else knew anything. So, but he pushed back. He said, you know what, son? I think may, there may be a way that you could do this without any of your own money. And at that moment, I tell people that I, I felt like I, I had reached a point of constructive discontent where I was super unhappy with my situation, but I was finally in a position where I wanted to do something about it, right? Like, and this seemed like, okay, let me at least check it out. Like, what's, what's dad talking about, right? And so he had, he had gotten a postcard for some event happening in Ventura. And, um, hey, come this half day thing, just see what it's about and, and whatever. And it's, you come for free, we'll give you some refreshments. So I said, okay, so I made up some excuse. I mean, it was it was the truth, right? Hey, I, I need to hang out with my dad today, type of thing. So, Absolutely, I, so I took yeah. I took half a day off of work, and uh, man, like a light went on. I sat down in that room. Uh, I wasn't sure what to expect, but but this but the the guy that was leading the the session, some of the things that he was saying, and some of the the, the things and concepts he was talking about, money and how the wealthy use money in, in, in productive ways. And of course how it ties into real estate. And it's just like, I always knew there was something about real estate. Right. Even as soon as I was in high school, it's like, I need to get into real estate at some point. Right. There's more wealth been created in and through real estate than any other asset class out there. Like there's something I just, I just know, I just had this inkling. I just never knew anything like how to do it or what to do. And it just kind of lived my life. But some of these things that he was saying, was just like, Oh my gosh. So then guess what happens at the end of that? Of course, they try to sell you, into a, a three-day weekend thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> and and it was uh, it was fifteen hundred bucks. Okay, and that was a lot of money for me. Right, that was a lot of money for me. And I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do here? And my yeah. dad's like, well, what do you think? What do you want to do? So he supported me. He agreed to split the cost. So we split the cost. I was kind of excited. You know, the, the thing was going to be. In, in a couple of weeks or something, and they give us some material to, you know, kind of start learning and start learning ter certain terms and start learning certain things. So I just, I just devoured that that stuff, and I was just, I was just antsy. I was like, dude, like I gotta, I gotta wait like three weeks for this thing. Like, what am I gonna do now? Like, okay, so I'm just consuming <laughs> the information, yeah. and and then finally the the thing comes, 
and it's a three day thing. And, and, uh, man, the first day was just fire. I was just like, Oh my gosh, like blown away. Right. Like just imagine not knowing anything about the way real estate and money and that kind of stuff and investing. And then you're just hearing all these high level things that you knew existed. You just didn't know about them. Right. And so I was totally on fire the second day. It was a little bit vanilla. I was like, okay, I think they're trying to set us up for something here. <laughs> right. And then yeah. the what's, third what's day the was agenda? the third day right. was good. But then at the end of the third day, you realize that these people are good and they, they were basically like setting you up for to eliminate your excuses the next day. Okay. The end of the next day. Right. Super tactical sales psychology. And and uh <laughs> so at the end of the day, I, I know that I don't know enough to do with this whole flipping houses thing and investing in real estate. Like I, I know stuff, but like, what do I do now? And so then of course it hits you with a new, new bigger, batter three day super bus tour event. That's $60,000. <laughs> and you're like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is devastating. Like what do I, what do I do? Cause now? you thought you were going to get that information on yeah. this, on this adventure. Right. 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 And, and, but somehow, I don't know, man, I guess that's where the entrepreneurial juices started kicking in again. And so did you do the, the second session? Yeah. You but, did. But oh. I figured, I figured it out. You had to like, how do I do this? Right. It's not, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of how, like, is, is there a solution? So started just looking around the room, started talking to people, mm. um, went into the other thing. Cause you know, you know how they set you up, dude, like, you know, you get the tap on the shoulder, like you're the special one. Right. And then they take you over there and then they, they, oh, yeah. they try to sell you all these different things. And then, right. But it's like, no, nah, then you go back and this and that. So what I ultimately ended up doing was I ended up talking to a guy that, that was a realtor who I figured, okay, he could be a good team member for me if he's a realtor. And then he had a partner there with him. And so I've agreed, I got them to agree to split, to part, partner with me and split the cost three ways. And then I took that information. I went back into the people trying to, in the room, trying to sell me. And I brought them in. And so, and then I got them to significantly reduce the cost and, and then love it and then split it three ways on top of that. <laughs> and like, and then we'll just make payments. And, but it was, it was something that I could stomach, you know, and it was a benefit to them. It's, and I didn't know it at the time, obviously, but I mean, they, they got room to, to move. But you know I, I, mean? I love the theme of the story though, is about kind of just taking the opportunity, like creating the opportunity, not just, you know, saying no, Oh, I can't. Right. But you found, a way to make it work, even though it was like, it wasn't just given to you. It's like there was an obstacle. You found a way yeah. through. And part of that goes back to having the epiphany of, I can either figure out how I'm gonna figure this out, or I can go back to this life of drudgery and misery yeah. and going back to the office every day that I hate. And the pain, pain pushing. So that was the pain pushing. Right. And. And so we did that, and then that event was three months down the road. And so, of course, you got more information, this and that. We start consuming, and I started kind of just doing whatever. Go to this event. It's, it's by far the best event, craziest event. Like, they just did this thing right, and it was three days from, like, 7 a.m. to, like, 3 a.m. every day of information, of just mindset and hooping. Like, oh, it was great. So right, what's the name of it? <laughs> you don't have to say it if you don't want to, though. It's uh, ironically, 
or not, you know, sometimes power corrupts, man. And these guys uh-huh. were the big, they were the largest. Mm. I thought they were the only ones that knew about flipping houses. Okay. And that's, that's how naive I was about this whole game. Uh-huh. Like, dude, these guys, I mean, sure. I mean, they're obviously they're the best, right? And they took thousands of people through these, through these seminars. And later on, you know, there was, there were some shady things happening. There was, cause they, they ended up doing not just the education, but they started doing entities and they started bringing in, you know, the turnkey rental providers. And then they, and then those people were, were basically selling people homes that were way above market value because they didn't know either. So they were, they're taking advantage. So something happens, you go try to sell that house. Mm-hmm. Now you have no equity. Guess what? You can't sell it. So these things started happen and years later class action lawsuits came this whole company went went under i was i was called to be part of the class action lawsuit and of course called from dozens and dozens of people throughout time that that saw that i was doing stuff and and how i how i got to doing stuff i guess is a cool story too did did you ever experience anything like that that somebody wronged you through that organization now through the organization okay right so when people were trying to get me to join the class action lawsuit. I, I, I really thought about it and I thought about mm-hmm. those people and I felt for those people because there were some people that were coming to me for advice because I was getting some things done. I was doing flips and I was raising money and, and, um, and they were, you know, a year and a half in, they still couldn't do a single thing. And so we had conversations and well, why don't you try switching this? And people were just, they were just stuck on a model. Right? They were inflexible. Like, well, the numbers don't work exactly how they taught us. So why don't you just try to change the numbers around a little bit? Well, the numbers don't work. Like this doesn't work right you know, five minutes from my house. Well, why don't you go to a different market? Right. But people are stuck on that and then they fail. And I couldn't in good conscience participate in the class action lawsuit because I knew that the reason I was able to do what I was able to do was with the foundation of the information and education that I did learn through that whole process and through that seminar company. And so the information was good. You still had something of value from yes, the information was good, and the 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 problem where where most people fall short is that they stop in the action, right? They take an action, they take an action, it doesn't work, it doesn't work twice, and then they quit. Doesn't work three times, and they quit. Doesn't work a fifth time, then they quit. Yeah. If it doesn't work, you sometimes you have to change it around a hundred times, and then figure out how, how how to make it work. And so, I learned about hard money in that seminar. And that's what really got me thinking, well, how does that work? Okay, so wait, I have to borrow like 70 to 80% of the money, and then I still don't have my own money. So I'm going to have to go borrow another 30, 20% of the money, plus closing costs, plus holding costs, plus all this money. So in my mind, I decided that I wanted to be the money guy. Like I figured if I could solve the money problem, then I could add value to everybody. I could, I could call the shots. I could just, cause what do you need besides a property? You need money. Cause you can have a hundred properties, no money. And that's what they taught you in the seminars. That never made sense to me. They, they tell you, go find the deal and the money will come. And I was like, well, from where? Right. Cause most people that go to these things, they're, they're newbies. They don't have a network of people. They don't know realtors. They don't know wholesalers. They don't know investors. They don't know any of that kind of stuff. So here's a deal on your lap. Right. And who are you going to call? Your grandma that has no money, like there's just, there's just, Hey, I have this awesome deal. Oh, that's great. Like, I don't know what that means, but so what I didn't want to be was the guy who couldn't perform, right? They didn't want to be calling realtors and setting up my network of, of, of those people and then say, Hey, okay, I found this deal and I have this deal and then go into escrow and not be able to close. 
right? So for me, I decided that getting the money part first was more important. So I didn't have a deal. Well, what do you do? Your mind, so I started just Googling stuff. I started putting together mock scenarios. I learned how the numbers were supposed to work, right? One of the one of the most amazing part about those seminars is that you also meet people that have done it. Whether once or a hundred times, you meet people that have done it. And what I ended up doing was just connecting with those people and then using what I call relationship leverage so that you can tell a story and have a conversation with somebody and tell factual truths without owning it yourself, but you associate yourself with that experience and that other person. Mm. So what I mean by that is now when I'm having a conversation with a potential investor and say, hey, yeah, I did this flip and I did that flip and this and that and the other thing when I haven't done a deal before in my life. Now I'm not being in character, right? But if I, if I know you and I know you've done 100 flips and you're my mentor and my business partner, I can say, yeah, well, you know, my mentor Michael, you know, he did this deal and he had this experience and my mentor Michael and his team, you know, that we're a part of, you know, here, here's some of the results that they've, that they've achieved, Right, so I'm never claiming ownership of that. The only thing I'm claiming ownership of is the relationship. Right, and through you, I can leverage the, that experience, and I can talk intelligently. Right, so I started just googling properties, and I say, okay, well, and I started putting numbers down on, on paper and saying, if if we buy it for this, and it's going to cost us this much to rehab it, and, it's, and we can sell it for this much money, this is how much we can make, and then here's a, the different costs, and here's how we analyze comparables, and here's the security for you, Mr. Mr. Investor, and whatever it's going to be. It's going to be a note in deed of trust. It's going to be an unsecured note. It's going to be whatever it's going to be, right? And that's the, one of the beautiful things about real estate investing is as long as both parties agree or all parties agree, you can do just about anything you want. You can structure something just about anything you want as long as it's within the confines of the law. You can do whatever So if you, if you both agree. So uh, what you offer investors, what you offer people, whatever, that's all, that's all fluid. So I start. I put these investor presentations together. I'd never used PowerPoint before. I didn't know what to do in that kind of <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just right. One of the one of the great things. Um, I've had a lot of mentors and a lot of e mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk a little bit about John Maxwell. We can talk about Brian Tracy. We can talk about yeah, Brian. Uh, Brian Tracy is amazing, dude. His I, his content's I, everywhere. I did all his all his speaking books. All his I have. I was consuming that stuff. That's part of like when I realized, just to back, sidetrack a little bit, like when I realized that I was going to do this, Michael, I realized that I was going to become an entrepreneur for the first time in my life. And I figured that the only way that I was going to be able to be successful is if I found a way to add value to other people. And I also figured that the best way to add value to other people is to make myself more valuable first. And I did that through education. Okay, you have to you have to learn certain things. You have to you have to be in a position to add value to somebody else, and then as soon as and then don't wait to to add value. As soon as you get here, you turn around and you help the next person, right? And so there's a lot of stories I can tell you about different different things that are along the journey. But um, one of the things that um, Brendan Bouchard said and that I learned from him because I went through his Experts Academy. I went you know, just all about personal development. Do you want to begin the entrepreneurial world or, or do anything successful? You have to devote yourself into on, into uh, personal development. So, but one of the things he said is that, uh, that uh, Brandon Burchard says in his whole thing, is just like, if there's something that you, that you realize that you don't know that could help you, well, that becomes your homework. It's not like, well, I don't know how to do that. So you just, eh. No, like, oh, sh- well, I don't know how to do that. I gotta, I gotta figure that out. I got to figure it out or I got to help have somebody help me figure it out. 
right? So I figured out how to like put certain things together. I figured out how to how to do little little things and how things are supposed to happen. And I just built this these relationships. And then once I was comfortable with the presentation and information and the content that I had, I just started making phone calls to people I knew and people I knew who owned real estate. I figured, well, they already own it. Maybe maybe this could pique their interest, right? And uh, the funniest story in it, when I started raising capital was I, I had an appointment uh, with uh, a former client and I called him up and he knew what was going on in my life. So I called him up and I said, hey, I won't use his name, but hey, uh, you, know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm going through some stuff and, and I'm, uh, but I'm looking into something new and I, I love if, if we could spend some time uh, together, just for a brief conversation to, to share with you a new, some, you know, a new thing that I'm getting involved with. And, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know, he, maybe he hesitated a little bit, but he took the appointment Yeah. and I went to, up to his house in Spanish Hills and we sat down and I started, started talking I laid it all out for him. And at the end, he just kind of like, he sat back and just like this sigh of relief, almost like laughter. He's like, Ivan, he's like, man, I know you're going through a rough time. So honestly, I took this appointment just because of that, but I honestly thought you were going to try to pitch me some MLM. Because I didn't think about it because that's totally the pitch. Yeah, let me show you something, you know, whatever. But I totally thought you were going to pitch me MLM. But no, this, I love this. Like this, I've been, I've been looking for something like this. And so I started getting verbal commitments. Um, and once I started getting those verbal commitments of like, okay, yes, if I find something that looks like this and that it would produce a potential benefit to you of this, would you be interested in investing? And as soon as I started getting those yeses, I started, I, then I started, went to work. Is this, is this residential focused? Yeah. Residential focused. Then I went to work calling realtors, calling people, networking, putting in offers all throughout Ventura County. But guess, guess what was happening during that time? Well, that was, uh, 2000, late 2010, 2011. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so it was after the crash and all the foreclosures were going crazy. So all the hedge funds were coming into Ventura County and buying up everything. Oh, wow. So imagine as an investor, you had to submit an offer with a 25, 30% margin just so you can cover all your costs and still make a profit. And these guys, I mean, they're cool with three, 4% margins, right? So you, you know, you're making an offer on a house for $230,000 and, and these guys are offering 320, $315,000, $310,000. And so of course you're always getting outbid. Right. And got hammered, got hammered, got hammered, got hammered. Kind of like what's going on in today's market for consumers, right? They're going up against 30 offers getting hammered. Right. But I, uh, through my networking efforts and, and, uh, I ended up getting connected with this lady in San Diego County and Ramona specifically. And I found out that she had like three properties under contract. I'm like, Holy smokes. Okay. Well, she must be doing something right. Hmm. So I got introduced to her, started having a conversation and just got to know her a little bit. Yeah. And by the second conversation, I, I, she was disclosing more information. I got her to send me the numbers on, on her deals. And so I analyzed the numbers. And one thing I learned early on, just as a, because I believe everybody's a salesperson, right? But there's, there's, there's got to be a, a, a double benefit, right? There's got to be a win-win. So whenever I present something, I try to already know that it's going to be a benefit to the other person so that I can predict the answer. Right? So when I went back to her and I said, hey, how about, you manage the projects because you're there. I'm not going to be driving three hours to, to manage these things. She already had an understanding of how to, how to manage contractors. And she, and she was a, a, a realtor. So, but you manage the properties. 
I'll provide all the money and we split the profits. And after analyzing the numbers and all the costs of, of hard money plus private money plus all those different things, I knew it was going to be a net benefit. Plus, it was just going to be a lot easier. So she agreed. And uh, that's how I got into my first deal. And unlike everybody, of course, I wanted to do it here remotely, so I, or not remotely, so it's in my backyard, so I could touch it, I could smell it, I could, I could hammer the wall, I could do demo, I could you know, call myself a, a fix and flip guy and whatever, but I wasn't gonna allow the fact that I couldn't get a property under contract here to prevent me from getting into the business. So my first uh, few flips were three hours away from where I live. And I had a team that I established down there, and it was great, and then we did another one, we did another one, and so you, you went the partner route. You went with yeah. somebody who's already got that kind of foundational tribal knowledge into fixing. Well, she flipping. was new too. She oh, was she new was. too, but okay. but but she had, you know, she had done some home projects where she, you know, big yeah. big home projects that she managed contractors and, you know, and she had gone through the same seminar, right? So she had the same education. We had the same foundation in the, okay. edu- in, the makes, in the education piece. So, so the, go ahead. That's the thing about the network, yeah. right? Like when you go to those those events, you you build a network. Yeah, the relationships for sure. So if someone's trying to get into fixing and flipping and, and maybe they don't have the funds to you know make those purchases or the financial commitment and they're looking for a partner, like what, like what would they look for in somebody like that? Well, preferably somebody that wants to be passive, right? And somebody yeah. who, who has an interest and who's not completely adverse to risk and... Uh, Cause it's like, it's that like has you're, money. you're both putting your name on an asset, mm-hmm. right? So it's co-ownership on the title, right? So the partners, yeah. In, in an LLC typically. It's like, how do you, how do you trust somebody like going into that? If you've never worked with them before, it's just, it's yeah. the, kind of the big, it's the million dollar question. It's a leap right? of faith. <laughs> yeah. It's a leap of faith and leap of faith. Yeah. That's another whole nother story of, sure. of uh, some of the most painful lessons I learned in the business was yeah. because I'm a generally good trusting person and I see good in people. The, a bad combination in business can sometimes be early on success, inexperience, and a trusting spirit, right? Because we can have, when I did, I had a lot of success early on, you know, raised over half a million dollars in three months, not ever having done, done a deal in my life. And But I got my education, I knew how to talk to people about things. I didn't just go willy-nilly, and like I at least wanted to sound professional, like I knew what I was talking about, I knew how it was supposed to work, so I could have an intelligent conversation, even though I had never seen it happen, right? But I had other people's stories too. Um, and yeah, man, but sometimes you don't know what you don't know. So you trust the person for a certain thing because you don't know you're supposed to ask certain questions. You don't know you're supposed right. to vet certain things out and how to vet them out, right? Like but, a qualification process. Mm-hmm. How, how, how important do you think it is to have a personal branding um, especially on the entrepreneurial path, you may have the knowledge, you may have the network, but for someone to come to you or work with you, um, you know, how, how much emphasis do you put on that, that personal branding touch? You can look at that from two different sides, Michael, because looking at it from the person wanting to get started side, I think it's irrelevant. I think it's completely irrelevant. I think that's another reason that people don't start because I'm gonna create these systems, I'm gonna get a logo, I need to I need to build a website, I need, and then they get mired in for six months of just creating all this stuff for their brand. Marketing and, and, content. And I, gotta, and I gotta make sure I got a good SEO in my marketing, it's just like, <laughs> no, no. 
figure out how, how what you want to do, how it's supposed to work, get yourself educated, and start having conversations with people. Nobody's going to be like it, branding is not important. A clean social name is important because anybody who's who's got any brain today will Google a person's name that they don't know before they actually go into business with them. Right. Right. So what does Google your name? What comes up? That's your branding when you're starting out. If it's all good, positive things, if it's just nice stuff on your social media, if it's you have a professional profile on LinkedIn, if you have like a blog, like whatever it is, just clean up that portion. Don't. Definitely. I don't know how to say this like gently, like don't be posting stuff. If you're, if you're a girl getting into business, don't be posting stuff with your skin hanging out everywhere and, and you're at parties all the time. If you're a man, don't be doing lewd things at parties all the time. Like if that's the kind of stuff that people see, like that's the brand you need to be focused on first. And, and there's foremost. that, the, the real personal brand, yes. like the person th themselves yes. in t having that professional kind of polished touch, like outside yes. of marketing, that's right. talking to Ivan, um, you know, what are some of those like key things that you look for in somebody that attracts you to do business with them or build a relationship with them? Well, you can't know this right off the bat, right? When you know somebody or where you look at somebody's profile, but I mean, first and foremost is integrity and there has to be a, some kind of connection, right? If you can't get along with somebody, there's no, but you see a benefit that you can get something out of that person and you suck it up, but you, you don't like being around the person. You don't like interacting with the person. <laughs> it's not going to work out. Right. So yeah. you have to, you have to know somebody, you have to see them face to face. You have to yeah. spend time with them, break bread. You have to understand like, can I get into business with this person? That. Even yeah. if it's just one thing. When I say deal, deal can mean anything, right? Deal can mean whatever right. you're into, right? It just so happens that I'm in real estate and mortgage. So that's what I know, you know, and, and private capital and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and I know a few things about just the entrepreneurial journey and personal development and, right. that, sort, and that sort of thing too. But, um, that's, that's the thing. So, you know, I started, started there okay. and I wasn't going to let location or, or all that kind of stuff stop me. And the investors were getting great returns. So guess what happens? They, they tell people and I'm having other meetings with other people. And so the capital grows and I, well, I've heard about Indianapolis. So I wanted to check it out there. I got introduced to somebody who was doing deals out there. That's where I learned most of my painful lessons was Indianapolis. Um, but I figured, Hey, if I'm doing it three hours away, what's, what's half a country away, right? Like, or yeah, basically what, yeah. why, why was, why was Indianapolis, I guess, painful if you don't want to go too deep into it, but just give us an idea, some context. Yeah. Just, uh, again, coming off a lot of success and I figured, okay, I have all this money and no matter how much the money likes you, if you don't put it to work, eventually it leaves you for somebody that, that will put it to work. Right. Gotcha. So then that's kind of how I got into you know, continuing to grow, but I wanted to make my money go further too. So I heard, okay, Indianapolis is a, is a good market. It's a good appreciating market. You know, property values are way lower. So you can get into a 2,500 square foot home for 70 grand versus 400 here in California. Right. And you can be a, and throw a rehab on there and do a good upside. So coming off of my successes here in Southern California and getting introduced and creating some new networks and blah, blah, blah. By the time I had that all, all set up, within a month and a half, I was 12, 12 projects deep in Indianapolis. Wow. Uh, again, so the first time, right? So the bandwidth, but I thought I had the right team, the right systems in place because I had talked to them, right? But that's that was my problem. I had talked to them and it came as a referral from somebody else 
who wasn't completely honest with me about the referral and um, that person ended up being just a charlatan and, and, and embezzled hundreds of thousands of dollars for me. Oh and, man. And Brutal. it was just one of those things that, yeah, everything was going good. Everything's going good. Everything's going good. And then all of a sudden I get a call mm. and man, like insult to injury. We're literally spending the night at my mother-in-law's house because my, my father-in-law, not my, yeah, my father-in-law is at home basically on hospice on his deathbed. Wow. And I get a phone call that morning when we wake up from this project manager, realtor, broker out there that, hey, we have this issue with one of your properties. The the contractor was caught, um, uh, what do you call it? Like jumping the, the, the power. So he's basically stealing utility. Oh, wow. And I'm like, what? So, so there's a stop work order on on this project and this and that. And I'm, I'm like... Again, this has never happened to me before. I don't know what the what the heck's going on. And I didn't question everything right away, but I started thinking, like, well, wasn't it your job to turn the power and water on? Like, you're the one that set, was supposed to set up the utilities. Like, so why did he have to go steal, like, clip into the power the wrong way so his crews can start working? If that's what you're telling me, when you were supposed to already have power and and water on, and heat and gas and all that kind of stuff. Because Indianapolis gets cold. <laughs> There's a thing called winterizing that people have to do out there, you know. So, oh yeah. Um, and then, then it was just a domino effect. The same problem with that one became the same problem with the next one. Became the same problem with the next one. Became a similar problem with the next one. Became another, you know. And then I had, you know, AC units out there, and because these these weren't like A class neighborhoods. Okay? Was this a result of that con artist, or is this a yeah. different? Yeah, it was the same yeah. guy. Wow. Same guy was managing them all. And um, so then, of course, he started blaming the contractors for everything. Well, the contractors were, uh, you know, didn't complete this work. Okay, but it says that you paid them. Yeah, well, they, they just stole the money, they pocketed the money, and didn't do the work. So why did you pay them before the work was done? Right, yeah. Like, you know, so, so this is kind of like, and you're, and you're a professional project manager, and, you know, so little by little, <laughs> right. things didn't make sense, and and then yeah. me being the the you know the good person that wants to see the goodness in other people, like it took me a minute to realize, oh my gosh, like this is actually happening, and then that's when I decided I need to get on a plane and whatever, and I realized that apparently people don't want you to go to Indianapolis because I go to Kansas City, I can go to Florida for two hundred bucks. But Indianapolis was eight hundred and sixty dollars. Interesting. And I'm like, are you are you kidding me right now? Never been to the city. Never didn't know where to go. I just tried to find like some hotel, which ended up being like kind of shady, but it was fine. But it was close to where the majority of where my properties were. And yeah. And man, it was just it was just horrible experience. Horrible. So I go out there. Of course, he knows I'm coming, and he's gonna take me through all the properties. And then he's telling me because he's asking for more money, right? For what? For what? And there's different property, properties in different stages of completion. And there's one big property. It was a like a 2,300 uh, square foot per side duplex that we were converting into a single family home. Like a 4,600 square foot single family home is going to be bitching. And there's all kinds of delays. So there's a, literally a two foot concrete wall separating the two units. It took like a month just to f- get in there. Wow. And, but he's telling me, okay, he needs another $18,000 to finish the project. Right. So I get there. We're walking through all the properties. I'm going through this one. And I'm like, 
seeing how big it is, seeing where it's at. It's just a drywall. There's, there's, you know, wood sheets on the floor and no kitchen or anything. Unreal. So, you're, so you're telling me, so you're telling me that this, this is the one that it's only gonna need like another fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars, right? He looked at me. He's like, yeah. It was gonna be like fifty grand, right? So I knew right there he was just trying to milk another fifteen grand, right? And then who knows where that money was gonna go. So then we go, one, bro, like, you know, I'm a man of faith, but when we were standing in one of those basements and like the realization of everything came and hit me, I had one of those human moments. I was just like, you know what? I could probably leave both of you in this basement. Like they wouldn't find you for weeks. Because <laughs> like, I don't think anybody's checking on these properties. Right. <laughs> but right. no, I was just like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, you, you, you did this to me. Yeah. And, and the biggest, my mistake was I didn't vet them out. Right. I took the recommendation from this person. I had a conversation. Everything sounded peachy keen, hunky mm-hmm. dory, all this kind of stuff. What I didn't do was fly out there and look at the man in the face before and break bread with him before I got into business with him. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's one of the biggest advice that I, that I give to people. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? I don't care if it's a rental property. I don't care. Whatever it is, go out there. Because it's not just the person or the people. It's some of these other places outside of Southern California it, it literally can change from one street to the other, right? Yeah. You can have one property right here and it's in this zip code and it's in this part of town. And it's over here and it's desirable and people want it. Properties appreciate, they're worth more. Tenants want to live there. Owners want to buy. And then you got one street over. It's a very different situation. You know, 40% haircut on values, different kind of tenant. Like it's, you have to walk and experience these things and also different times of day mm. to see what it feels like. And you fast forward, you know, so so there I have 12 projects that you know, some of them were complete, some of them weren't. So then you go into fix-it mode, right? So what do you do when you fi- go into fix-it mode? You contract, you don't, you can't expand anymore. Now I, now I have these investors that I need to take care of. I got these projects out there, I had like, all this kind of stuff that I need, to, that I need to, to do and create a solution. So some of them we turn into rentals that were supposed to be flipped. Some of them we turn into rentals just so the investors can hold them for longer term, get their return, by, and then they can sell and now I'm sure they've sold and, and yeah. been able to recoup because the way the market has recovered over, over the last do, do several years. Do you need to have a, a, a comprehensive understanding of construction to pull money like that from investors and then have a Certainly profitable? not. Okay. Certainly not. Got it. I'm not a contractor. Right. I don't have a comprehensive understanding of construction. Right, right. That's that's not my gift. That's not my skill. And that's why you don't you don't need to become a contractor. Some people get their realtor's license. You don't need to get a real, real estate license. What for? In some cases, it makes sense. In some cases, it's a hindrance to you. So, you know, some people get it just because, well, they want to be the one representing the listing when they go to sell their flip or the rental property. Well, but what if what if that property, that project isn't in your area? Right? What if you, you can't do business, right? So so it's it's all... Sure, sure. The point, the point is just going back to you don't need any of that stuff to get started. If you add things along the way to make yourself more professional, more skilled, more resourced, great. Would you say it's more it's more people driven business than it is yes. economic or it starts with you. Yes. Right. It's more people driven, but it starts mm-hmm. with you. You can't just be you also can't just be a taker. Right. Right. And then and you get that all the time. You get that all the time. You can't just be a taker. Hey man, like I'm gonna do this, like what No. <laughs> understand if you're gonna go if you're gonna approach somebody, understand yeah. who that person is, what their interests are, what their needs are. And go to them with something of value. How can you help that person in some way? How can you give something to that person? And then in exchange, there's a the reciprocity, right? But you have to be the one willing to give first. Beautiful. Yeah. 
Absolutely. It's just the way it is. You know, I don't know how many LinkedIn requests you get or emails or <laughs> right. I, I get so many every week and it's always people just, just on the, com- on com- the offense, yeah, complete yeah. just, um, demanding your attention, throw up of how great they are and, and what they can do. And the worst ones are the ones that <clears throat> don't even research enough to understand that nothing that they offer is an alignment can be of any even remote <laughs> interest to me. Right. Right. So now you wasted your time and, and the three seconds it took me to do. And you can, you can see the copy cutter templates with your of name course. at the top, you know, and it's just very generic, but yeah. Yeah. if someone took the time to, you know, take an interest in what I'm interested in, in my business and maybe have a meaningful letter or a message, you know, it's something I'll, I'll, I would consider giving some attention to, but you're yeah. always, it's always a battle for attention. Just a message. In today's world. Just a message. Just a, just a hey, hey man, yeah. like I came across your profile. Uh, you seem like a cool person. I just wanted to say hi. I hope, hope you're having a great week. Just a message. I don't, I mean, it's maybe I can, maybe I can ask you about yourself, but one thing that I don't like to do is, is necessarily give my business card out to people that don't ask for it either. I go to so many events and the first thing, you know, I haven't even shaken the person's hand yet and, and they're giving me a business card instead of their hand, <laughs> right? I, I don't even know if I want your business card. Yeah, I don't I mean, even know you, know, you. Those cost money too, right? <laughs> I, I, I'll respect that. Keep, keep your business card, right? Like sometimes at the end of a conversation, if they don't ask for it and I feel it's appropriate, I won't leave that opportunity because I, want, I do want to connect with the person. Right? Hey, you know what? I really enjoyed our conversation. Like here's my contact information, right? Like, I'd love to yeah. keep going. But I never lead with that. And I, I, I will often ask for a person's business card. That's how you and I connected. Mm-hmm. We met at, in a social network. Yeah. And then I was pitching the podcast. And then um, and then you took an, a shine to that. And you're like, hey, man, I'd, I'd love to work together. And I was like, let's let's do it. And we we, we set up a call. We mm-hmm. talked and got to know each other a little bit. It took bit. several interactions. It, it did. It did. But I noticed when you're in that area, because we've been in a couple events together mm-hmm. now, your presence is known. Mm-hmm. Um, you carry an energy with you that people recognize. They gravitate towards it. Um I, what do you like? Do you do anything specific? Do you have like a morning, like kind of routine or like, how do you kind of maintain? Uh, cause you're always, you always seem very clear and focused every time we, uh, get together. Well, I mean, of, of course I have a morning routine, but it's, it's, um, has nothing to do with presence at events because there has to be a purpose in what you do. Otherwise, you're wasting time. And that's one thing that we don't have more of. And so whenever I go to an event, I I go to an event with an outcome in mind and usually two outcomes, right? Whether whether I'm going to an event, sometimes I do something different. Like when we go camping or go to a certain place, I'll, I'll pray for the ability to just make an impact in one person's life in one way or another, right? And I also set the intention of I want to leave there with at least one name that I can add value to and there could be a reciprocal relationship. So either way I win because I know that if an opportunity to just speak a word of, of truth or encouragement to somebody at, at an event or at a place or offer them something that I have, um, I ended up doing it a couple times. Last couple times we went to the beaches as a quick side note, like. I've been taking an umbrella lately, but we don't use an, um, we don't use an umbrella because we like to tan. 
the last couple of times, but I set that intention. I set the prayer. Let me, me, let me present an opportunity for me to be a blessing to somebody and then make me open to see those opportunities, right? Because that's the thing. We, there's opportunities that fly in front of us every single day and we're so busy. We're so focused on ourselves and where we're going, what we're doing, that all these different things around us kind of just get blurred out. Right. So we're at the beach. Last weekend, Saturday, best beach day of the entire year here in freaking October, just just for one day, because then it, then the weather just changed completely. But um, we were there, and I see a guy, a little kind of fair skinned guy, and he's talk, he's sitting with a couple. They have an umbrella. They're all in the shade. He's in the sun, and he's covering himself up like this with a with a towel. Yeah. Right. So I was like, okay, so clearly the guy doesn't want to get burned, and he's concerned, and he's fair skinned, and and whatever. And Sharon and I are playing cornhole. And then after our last throw, I, just, I, I, I spotted it. I saw it. And then a couple of minutes later, you know, he's still like that. Like, he can't be having So I went and grabbed my umbrella. I went and just introduced myself, started having a conversation, popped the umbrella open, set it up for him, blah, 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 opened up this whole thing. And then guess what happened the rest of the day? They were, like, coming over. They are offering things and conversation and it's like, Hey, was, you know, is my music. Okay. Like just being respectful. Like, oh my gosh, no, it's totally fine. And you know, it was just awesome. Yeah, and then amazing. they were super appreciative and I helped them with their stuff. Like there was a connection there just because of, of a random kind of act, act that, of I, that, I, that I asked yeah. for, right. That I asked, give me the opportunity. So I can either do something like that where I speak a word of truth or speak some kind of something in someone's life and get them to laugh or something or, and, or I can meet somebody at this specific thing because I'm going to be intentional about trying to meet people. Yeah. A lot of people go to events and then they just try to have fun themselves and they go sit in a corner with a drink and it's like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Did you just want to go to the bar tonight or did you actually want to meet somebody? Right. Right. Like this is why we do these things. Exactly. And so, and I mean, and then, and then we met, but if I hadn't been intentional enough and kept my eye on you throughout the night and then figure out, okay, when yep. are we, when are we going to leave? And I'm also not a Budinsky, so it's I wait for the opportunities. And as I was, I was about to leave, there's an opportunity to at least introduce myself. And if I could make an impact, well, it was worthwhile for you to, or you considered it worthwhile for you to follow up with me. And and then we saw each other again. Yeah. And, and then I just found out this week that uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm friends with your brother, who I didn't know was your brother, who you knew I knew, but I didn't know it was your brother. So, <laughs> <laughs> who was the one throwing the event? Yeah, who's the one? Yeah, who 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 hosts these events? Surprise, right? So <laughs> it was just it was just such a such a cool revelation. But but I I like that I somehow was blinded to that fact because our relationship grew organically. It didn't grow as a result of right. the connection that I have with your brother. Well, like and you likewise. said, intentionally, my brother's there to run the event, uh, make sure the sponsors get their 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 moment of spotlight. Everybody's connecting he's working and then i'm there with my intentions as well and i love how you touched on the intentional aspect because going into anything going over to the family's uh, house for dinner or holidays or uh, as an athlete as a hockey player it's like setting the attention of what do i want to give and then what do i want to get mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. absolutely man yeah great point but giving right so that's that's where it starts absolutely you know the, the cool thing about having your hand in a position that is is giving a handout is that it, it stays in the position to receive one too. Love it. Right. But you first have to release what's in your hand before you can take something back into it. And, and so that's kind of a, a principle that I try to live by. And there's really two things. You know, I, 
as you know, I, I was uh, certified by John Maxwell as a coach and a speaker, mentor. Yes. I was part of Toastmasters. And these are all things that never came naturally to me. They were all things in the entrepreneurial journey that you're like, how can I get... Real quick, what, what is Toastmasters for those who don't know? Well, Toastmasters is a, is a worldwide organization that helps people get comfortable speaking in front of people. Yes. And or having conversations. It can be one-on-ones, but it really is done in a group environment. And But it's also... An organization that that helps you with uh, just kind of business structure and strategy and and it's cool, but it focuses on one of the biggest fears out there, which is speaking in front of people. Speaking in front of people, the art of communication. Mm-hmm. I did Toastmasters too at my uh, uh, corporate company chapter in awesome. Olin Hills. Yeah, and it's such a transformative experience. And you get you get uh, noted on how many so's, how many ums, mm-hmm. your eye contact. Your, your clarity, your speech, the, the words that you choose, things like that. So it really kind of pulls you apart yes. from all your bad habits and kind of builds you up to be a very polished elite speaker. So right. it's awesome. And just a communicator. It's, it's all about communication. It's, and it's not about having the most eloquent speech and being able to, no. with, like with people, right? Because you still have to be natural. You still have to be yourself and, and, and casual, but there you do realize when somebody speaks a certain way you appreciate especially those who go through training like that you understand when that person man that person really did a well job like a good job not a well job really did a good job at controlling their so's and their ums and their butts and like all the all these different things that that happen dirty habits in in conversation and their you knows and anyways and oh my goodness that's that's one thing that potty mouths Potty mouths, <laughs> but I know a couple people in my inner circles yeah. and in my family that they're the, every third word in a conversation is anyways, and it's, it's just, just it drives yeah. me nuts. But you know, what are you gonna do? So <laughs> we move Go to on. Toastmasters. You move on. So sorry. So you were saying that yeah. anyway. And but when I talk to people and people, I just realized I didn't want to. I went down that that path for a minute of of being a coach. I wanted to be a life coach, and I figured. That was just out of the, my heart of, of wanting to help people and, and just share my experiences with them and maybe help them in a different way. And I realized it, just, it, it wasn't for me. And part of it is not, it can't just be heart driven because I have a family to support too. So there, there has to be some kind of monetary correlation to the things that I invest time in with the exception of, of the, the tithing that I do with, of my time of my money, of my energy, of, of all those different things, right? Those are all tithes that you could do. It's not just about the money. It's it's about the other valuable things too. And so you have to choose what you're going to do and, and what you're going to do that actually generates income. And there were just really isn't any, wasn't any for me in, in the coaching thing, but I, I love the process. I love the, the experience and, and helping other people. Um, but one of the things that I used to always tell people is that I try to live my life by, by two principles. And one of them is always be willing to learn and always be willing to accept change. If you can master those two things right now and really throughout our, our whole time, there's always been a wall that people build up, right? So by, by what I mean by always be willing to learn is you go into an environment, people go into an environment or a conversation or, or they know the person they're going to talk to or the speaker or whoever shares different political beliefs shares different religious views, shares different views on parenting, whatever it is, this person has some kind of knowledge that they're going to, that they're going to try to impart on a group or, or a person or an individual. But because you know that about them, 
you already have a wall up and you kind of start tuning that person out because, oh yeah, well they're this and that and the other thing, right? All these presupposed assumptions of who this person right. is. Yeah. So now you shut yourself off to learning, mm. right? Because then all of a sudden your mind goes into, I know. And that is, that is the death of learning is when you say, I know. Mm. Oh, I know. How many times have you told a teacher or a mentor or a parent, oh, I know. And then n- nothing that comes after that from that person's mouth is going to stick with that person. There's, there, a, there's, there's already, a saying, uh, they already know. There's a saying, um, what is it, that you'll learn nothing new if you keep hearing yourself speak. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so I say you got to look at every conversation, every interaction, everything that's, that's being presented to you in front of you as a, as a buffet. You come to it with complete openness to everything that's going to be on the buffet. And then you just take what serves you. You take what is going to propel you. You take what's going to help you in your life. And you leave everything else. But at least you came into it with a complete open mind to receive enough information that you can filter out the stuff you don't agree with. Because by all means, you don't allow somebody else to change your, your moral character if it's against your moral character or, or whatever it is your beliefs are. But at least allow the other stuff that could potentially benefit you because we can learn from anybody. Anybody. It could, that's why you don't shut, shut down a 12 year old kid that has something to say. You don't shut down, especially your elders. They're, they're the biggest gems in our society and, and they, they need to be respected and revered for what they are. So that's one. And the other thing is always be willing to accept change. The funny thing is, is that change is the one thing everybody wants. They just don't realize it. And it's one of the things that they fight against the most because everybody likes the comfort zone, right? Everybody likes the routine. Everybody likes like, this is it, this is safe. This is all that, all this kind of stuff. But if you're not happy with where you are right now, whether you're completely an employee, but cause I say, I tell everybody that they're self-employed. Yeah. I don't care who cuts your paycheck, your performance, your attitude, what you do at work for your employer is going to affect you one way or another. So you're going to, you're going to screw off and do these, these silly things and whatever, despite your boss, you're cutting off your own nose. Okay. You're not hurting the boss. You're hurting yourself. You're working for yourself no matter where you are. And you know, for me, you know, you work us onto Christ and that's where you come in with the work ethic and you do your best and then you grow where you're planted and then you, then you get planted in a better garden. Right? So be willing to accept change because if you're not completely happy with where you are, something has to change, right? And the change can be positive, but it's change. So you have to be willing to accept change because sometimes the change is going to lead you to where you actually want to go. The destination that you have picked out for yourself might take all kinds of windy twists and turns, man. And and it, and you have to be unrelenting with the goal and the destination, but completely flexible in the path to get there. Because things are going to come up in life, and whether it's in your business, in your employment, in your family, there's so many things that can derail you that have nothing to do with your business and, and your money that you had to be able and ready to, to take. Absolutely. And that's, that's why I thought you'd be great to be a part of this, uh, this, this show. Cause we want to highlight people who have kind of been through that maze, those pathways where you had to turn around, you had to re-strategize, you had to go through the obstacles, you had to go through some pain, but you kept going, you grew through it. And you became a better person for it. And that's why it's called Leader's Labyrinth, right? I'd so. like to think so. You know, <laughs> I'd like to think so. I just... I, I know so. I think it's one of those... There's a... There's a line with humility. Because humility can either be self-serving or it can be sabotaging. And so you have to, you have to be able to fit yourself between those two places. 
this is so hard for me. This thing I struggle with is to give myself credit for the things that I have accomplished and that I have done, that I have been through. Because in my mind, where I am is so far from where I want to be. So far. And the journey that I've gone through these last 11, 12 years if I choose to reflect on, man, I've been on this journey for 12 years and I still feel worlds away from where I want to be and, and what I want to be contributing to my family and to society and my mom who's a widow and my mother-in-law who's a widow and my church and, and like if I allow just the weight of how far away that feels, that's where humility can be damaging right it's it's understood it's the wrong kind of humility because it's great to have ambition and to have fire in your heart and want to do so much and and you're coming from a good place and you want to give back to your family yeah but don't let the um you know the result of that the result of where you want to be minimize where you are now right right because one of the things that's helped me the most sometimes bro is i'll be having a conversation with somebody and they'll ask me about either my journey or a specific thing about real estate or a specific thing about rental properties or investing or money or mortgages, like whatever it is, and it all ties in together because everything along my path has led me to where I am right now, right? That's why I wouldn't change anything that's happened. Um, but see, we, we still revert back to those bad habits even even when we, we, we're trained speakers because it's just natural conversation man. you're t- tapping into emotion and you're do, doing different things. But sometimes I tell people about a story that like, I'll tell you one real quick, you know, part of what I learned from Grant Cardone early on was that a small business owner or entrepreneur's biggest problem isn't the quality of the product or service. That's not the biggest problem. It's important, but your biggest problem is obscurity. If nobody knows what you do, who you are, what product or service you provide, like how great you are, then nobody can benefit from your service. Right? And that's the attitude you have to have, by the way. You're providing value. You have a benefit. If you don't believe that, then you're doing the wrong thing. But so first you got to do, you got to do everything you can to get attention. And then once you get attention, what's going to happen? We're going to get criticism. And then if you can push through the criticism, because that's hard. It's hard. The first, the first negative comment on your social media, man, all it takes, one comment and, and, we're, we're emotional, frail beings, man. And it's just like, what? What? what I thought. And yeah. <laughs> right. So you go from that and then you get the haters. Mm-hmm. Go from criticism to haters. But if you can persevere through all that, because it'll be good things in between too, right? But we always focus on that. Our emotions do anyway. You, you get to the other side and, and then you reach admiration. People respect you. They see what you've done. They see whatever. They, they don't realize that it took you 10 years to do it. But it's still like, oh, cool. Like, this is, this is a cool journey. But not knowing anything, I, I mean, when I became an entrepreneur, this was the first time I'd ever done anything. I didn't know what to do. I was trying to figure everything out along the way. And one of the ways that we started growing our network, right, to get attention, is we started going to to RIA clubs, which is basically real estate investment groups. Now they call them meetups because they're hosted on Meetup. Right. But there's a meetup for just about anything on meetup.com. So we started going to these things and you just kind of had an idea. It's like, well... You know, I've, I've flipped some homes and I've raised money and whatever. And so let's just, well, instead of being there, why don't we host one? And we had one 
our first one had two people at it at a Starbucks. And then from there, it just grew to 16 clubs in four states. Wow. And why did we, how did we do that? Because I don't know, like, well, I had to wait for this flip to finish before I could get paid and can do this and that. And so we just started having conversations with people. It's like, look, I have all these resources, all these things that I created for myself. How about we hold your first meeting and then you can run the club and we can do all this for you at a low, low price of 5,000 bucks. You just threw it out there, right? Because we had yeah. we had branding, we're you know coast to coast Rio. We had like all those stuff that was going on, and somebody finally said yes. And I was like, oh my gosh, somebody said yes, and we got wow. five thousand bucks, and we created these contracts. And so you know, you, you go back and you tell people stories of different things that happened, and how I finally got out of the insurance in, industry, and the blessing of that, and all the pain, and what, that, what led me there. Like when I tell that stuff, you can look back and be like, dude, I've done some cool things. Right, so that's where you, that's almost where you come back to that middle line of humility. It's like, you know what? Yes, it's it's great to have ambition. It's great to not be satisfied where where I'm at, but I'm content that I'm here. Right, awesome, and grateful. We will be right back with twenty degrees deeper into the labyrinth with Ivan Oberon after a word from our sponsors. We would like to thank our sponsor, One Education, One World, a Section 501c3 certified nonprofit on a mission to bring quality education to children in the rural parts of the world that do not have access to schools. OEOW gives these children quality education by providing them with an educational space, curriculum, supplies, qualified teachers, and leadership in underserved communities. The focus is to inspire hearts and minds of all children while fostering their social, psychological, and spiritual well-being. If you'd like to learn more on how to support OEOW and bring quality education to underprivileged children, please visit www.oneeducationoneworld.org forward slash donations. Help us make a positive change in our world and our children's lives. Education is the right of every child, even a child far away, living in dire conditions in far-to-reach places. We would like to thank our sponsor, Imagine Collective, your premier experience agency, leading California's central and southern regions in event planning and management, digital and experiential marketing, brand partnerships, and more serving all coastal and inland communities from Monterey County down to San Diego County in the great Golden State. One of my favorite things about Imagine Collective is they donate a portion of their proceeds to a trusted charity of your choosing for each service they provide. Contact them today at 323-207-9572 and visit their website for more information at the Imagine Collective. Dot com. Mention Leaders Labyrinth and enjoy 20% off your first service. Imagine Collective. Let's collectively imagine how to make our world a better place through the everyday work we do together. We would like to thank our sponsor, Malibu Audubon, a car collective known for its unique events in Southern California hosting epic and beautiful scenic group drives in Malibu and producing concerts in LA. But there's a lot more to it than just these events. Beyond its popular line of apparel, 
Malibu Audubon is well known as a curator for some of today's biggest music videos, TV shows, and other productions, sourcing and handling rare special vehicles for all types of projects. You can learn more and join Malibu Audubon at MalibuAudubon.com or simply visit at MalibuAudubon on Instagram. We're going to jump 20 degrees deeper into the labyrinth with Ivan Oberon. Uh, this is a part of the show where we take our leader uh, 20 degrees deeper by asking 20 meaningful questions to help get to know them a little bit better. So Ivan, first question. I asked you this earlier in the interview. How do you start your day? And do you have any non-negotiables or morning routines? All I want to say is that I didn't receive the disclosure that there was going to be 20 questions. Okay, this is this is like the whole 20 questions thing. All right, I'll, I'll play along. Uh, morning routines. Yeah, yeah, there's a morning routine. Uh, I, I, I uh, always work to get up early. The way things have happened in life lately and all the, all the different commitments, I haven't been waking up as early as I like. Oftentimes, I would wake up as early as 4.30 in the morning because I have certain non-negotiables every every day and sometimes other things have to be reworked around that right but the the morning routine is wake up whenever you you know wake up definitely before you know six but no alarm sometimes early. no I, I need an alarm yeah i need an alarm i have a i have a the whole like bedtime thing on my iphone right so it, so it wakes you up gently but i've become a light sleeper since since i became a dad so it wakes me up it wakes me okay. up okay <laughs> what time do you get up usually so usually I shoot for about five thirty, right? And and then the first thing that I do after I get dressed is is I come out and already the night before I have a thirty two ounce water bottle or cup actually not filled to the top and then I I put my kettle on get the water going and I have apple cider vinegar in that water and then I pour the hot water into there because if you do the research really especially this time of year which we're going into fall and winter nobody should be drinking cold drinks for their gut health, their immune system, everything else. But generally speaking, because the fire inside of you is already colder because the, the season has changed. So cold fluids are not good for your health. So I do warm water with uh, apple cider vinegar. I drink that whole thing. And that's part of the gallon of water that I drink every day. Right? So the minimum of a gallon of water every day. That's in addition to if I drink tea. That's in addition to if I drink coffee. That's in addition to if I drink any other form of liquid. you got to have at least a gallon of water every single day. Um, and the, the reason you do it first thing in the morning and the apple cider vinegar one is for gut health because health and energy all starts in the gut. And the, the, the first thing in the morning with the, the water is you're completely dehydrated. Just if people don't know when you wake up, right? Cause you, you fasted for five, six, eight hours, depending on how long you sleep. Right. Right. So you're fasted and you're dehydrated. So you got to get hydration into your body so that it gets into your brain. So you can start getting your motion going. So with that, um, I then get into my devotionals every morning and sometimes my devotionals are eight to ten minutes sometimes it goes 20 minutes it just depends on where the spirit leads me in prayer and you know in my, in my devotions uh, and then from there i get ready to go on uh, some hill climbs go on a walk i walk with a weighted vest because we talked earlier i can't run anymore i have this weird thing going on with my, with my left knee uh, so i just do with a weighted vest and get uh, still get the exercise still get the blood going and then i come back and then i finish a workout at home which uh, COVID drove me to work out at home and I found uh, a great way to do it. And apparently it's, it's doing all right. It's working out. So I have a few different people I follow on, on YouTube 
and uh, get my workout in and then, you know, do the, do the school drop-offs now that we're back in school and this and that and the other thing. And, and then I start, uh, start my day, just to start figuring out what my, what my, uh, uh, what I call it, my, uh, my power list is going to be for the day. Mm. And then I just dive into work. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. What is your favorite quality about yourself? <laughs> you know, we talked about this, this whole humility thing earlier. I don't, I don't, uh, I think, is it that you're humble? No. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I am, but I think if I had to, if I had to say something, it would be that I, I truly have a desire to connect with and help people. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Right? You can't, you can't get people to necessarily be willing recipients of. Uh, somebody who wants to add value to their lives, but I seek it out, right? So I, I just, I, I'd like to connect with people and I like to, to add value to people. Love that. Thank you. What characteristic do you value in others? Hmm. You don't always know it's there right away, but the, the characteristic I value in others the, above anything else is character. So what's that, what, what does your character do in your life? Where does it lead you? What kind of person does that make you? What decisions do you make based off of the character that you have? And uh, so good character and same kind of thing, man. Like you have to have a, a love for people. And those, those things I appreciate. I can, Beautiful. And I can sense some people. Beautiful. Absolutely. People can show you what they want to show you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, until you spend some time with them, then you get to know yeah. the character, right? Yeah. Um, if you could travel back in time and live in any era, <laughs> what time period would you want to live in? Uh, it's it's a tough one because I love I love all the like the King Arthur type mm. stuff and Knights of the Round Table Swords and, the, and the Musketeers and <laughs> like I I love the nobility in all that I I love the the character. In, in those people, uh, I just I just hate how dirty you would probably be all the time. <laughs> no showers, only you know, How much you would smell? Like you, get, you have to have like rashes everywhere. You I don't like know. Three days without a bath is yeah. Normal. Like like if you're like if you're not a wealthy person, you didn't you didn't get to take baths every day. Like you know. So so there's so I'm kind of torn in that, and and then I I don't know. I kind of glamorize the whole story of the movie Tombstone. With with Wyatt Earp and, and oh, Doc yeah. Holliday and, and, and just not that necessarily the, the Western time because there there was a lot of corruption and a lot of seedy things that went on, but just the fact that same thing, man. Like people had integrity, they had character, and yeah. I, I just I'm drawn to that. But I don't know if I could live in that time. I, I honestly I honestly think that we're living in the best time that there's ever been. So love it, love it. <laughs> What is a book that had impacted your life or that you would just recommend to others? Mm. Well, they say that leaders are readers. They do. And I was never a reader uh, as, as a youth uh, until I got into entrepreneurship. And then I realized, okay, well, they say that the people that control the top 1%, 2% of 
the world's economy and the money are, are the ones that read the most books, right? So if if 1% of people are reading 98% of the books and that 98% of the money is being controlled by that 1%, maybe there's something to that, right? right. So yeah. so I started reading books. I was never a, a, just read it for, for the sake of reading, right? So every book that I read has to have some kind of impact, has to have learning, some kind of personal development type thing. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot of books that I would recommend by, by Brian Tracy. But the very first book that I read in my entrepreneurial journey, I think is still one of the best ones. And it's called The Magic of Thinking Big. Okay. And it's an amazing book. It opened me up to so many things. It's, it's really written in an easy way, understandable format. Uh, of course, Thinking Grow Rich is another one that, that impacted my life. And, uh, yes, and, Napoleon Hill. And many others by Napoleon Hill. That's, you know, I almost didn't want to say that because it almost seems like it's just like, like a throwaway that, that so many people have put, put out there. <laughs> but it's just, I mean, you can't deny it. It's still relevant so yeah, much it's still, today. It's still relevant. Mm-hmm. And so, the, you know, so I'd say that the magic of thinking big, if you haven't read it. And that's by it. who again? Oh, it's okay. They can yeah, Google I, it. I, I need to go look at my library. I don't remember. All good. Thank you for that. Uh, if you could sit on a bench and have a deep discussion with anyone alive or deceased, who would it be and why? Okay. Well, same thing. I feel like I'm going to tell you this because this is in my heart. If, if I want to sit next to anybody ever for the rest of my life, it would be Jesus. And, and that's just, that's just me. So, but beyond that, there's, there's two people. And I, and, I, and I recently changed one of them, but uh, John Maxwell, because I, I love the man. I think he's uh, one of the wisest faith leaders and business leaders uh, in the world. And just spending time with that man is, is wow. But it, it always used to be, you know, from my entrepreneurial side, it always used to be Richard Branson. Oh, okay. Right, from Virgin. Yeah. Uh, amazing, just gifted my butt. <laughs> Unfortunately, I had to I had to kick Richard aside. If I had the option, it would be Elon Musk. Thank you. Uh, what is one of the most important lessons you learned in a relationship? A relationship. <clears throat> My experience led me to to the realization that the most important thing in a relationship is the ability to be 100% completely vulnerable with the other person. And when one or the other party creates an environment where the other party doesn't feel safe in any way, that vulnerability starts to go away. And as that vulnerability starts to go away, the ability for that relationship to produce fruit it gets substantially stunted wow. and you can't reach the level of depth that you were created to experience in a relationship there's always going to be this next layer that you'll never achieve there's always going to be this extra yearning this longing for this thing that you don't know what it is but you know that you're not there because there's this experience or that experience or this word or these things that either happened in the relationship or that you carried into it from a previous relationship that allow you to not be fully vulnerable. And when I realized that I could be that way 
with my wife now, my current wife, which I would go through everything that I went through previously that I just barely, barely touched on all over again to get to where I'm at now with my wife, my relationship and, and like the fact that she was the answer to every prayer that I prayed and all that kind of stuff before. Mm. But, um, you tell me if I have a, if I have a minute to go on a, on a, on a tangent on this, but if not, I'll move on, but it's up to you, my friend. I was in a relationship for so many years that I always felt like I was walking on glass. There was different things that happened before I entered into that marriage relationship. We had broken up for basically the same reason I ended up our marriage, but, um, and that whole experience made her very insecure, very like, I, I could never like imagine going to a business meeting and you're talking and this and that, and what, what, what what's there. You typically at a business, there's, there's usually two genders there. So, you know, if you, if you mention a name of a, of that had a female word or whatever, it's, it, it immediately defensive, immediately this and that. I couldn't have a phone. I couldn't look at, you know, oh, so wow, it was very, wow. very not safe because sometimes the, th- the things that we do project on others because of our guilt and the different things. So that's just, I assume that's what was happening. But, yeah. But anyway, so when Sharon and I first started dating, I went on a business trip. I had this training to go on and, and this and that. And um, we went out to dinner and it was an exclusive group. This was uh, for an agent of distinction thing that I had qualified for. And so it was a small group of people. Went out to dinner. Well, there's a few females and males and whatever. And, uh, but one of them around dinner started kind of hitting on me. Now, I'm not married at the time, but Sharon and I had started dating. And we hadn't expressed a necessarily a fully committed relationship, like status to each other. But I knew she was like 100% in, right? I was a little bit behind her. <laughs> but she was 100% in. She had gone through a similar thing that I went through like a year and a half before I did. You know, so there's some, there some empathy type stuff there. And, you know, it's all, it all worked out. But anyway, the crazy thing that, that like liberated me, man, is all that happened. Got, go back to my hotel room. And all of a sudden I get a call. And it's this girl trying to come over. Now, here, here's a clincher. I knew she was married. And even though I wasn't married anymore, that's still adultery. So I was going to be on on the giving end of that after right. being on the receiving end, especially. So she kept calling. She kept calling. Oh, it's okay. You don't have to do it. Like, I just want to snuggle. Like, you you don't have to. Oh, thank you for telling me I don't have to do something I don't want to do anyway. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so finally, I, I get her to go away. Like, she stops calling. And first I thought of, of scripture that was inside my heart that kept me from from her basically but the second thing that i had was i had a like a desire to call sharon and tell her what happened whereas i would have kept that a secret like for the rest of my life right if it was a different different relationship but the reason that i had that is because i was excited at the fact that i knew i had just pleased god because i like the scripture came to my mind it gave me strength to not see this random woman and do whatever she wanted to do. And so I was excited to share that with her. So I called her and I shared it with her. And the the breaking point was her reaction. You know what, you know what she told me? I've never heard anything like that in my life, man. And she told me, she told me, and I'm, I'm, I'm like states away, okay, in a random hotel room. She doesn't know where I'm at. Like just the perspective of, it's not like I'm down the street, she can come check it out, right? She, she looks at me and she, in the phone, she's just like, I'm so proud of you. 
Wow. That's heavy. Five words. That's heavy. That changed the the last. That that says a lot right forever there. Forever years of my life, you know. And that opened up the door to, okay, I can be vulnerable with this woman. Absolutely. And so I kept telling Beautiful. more more truths and openness and, and you know, never hiding anything and Beautiful story. vice versa. And so in my opinion and in my experience, whatever it takes and however you get there, however you're blessed to achieve that, complete vulnerability is the most important thing in a relationship. And I'll take one step further. I know you don't want me to whatever, but but starting with a foundation in Christ. Gotcha, brother. In your relationship. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that and for such a great story to share too. What is a powerful piece of knowledge or advice someone gave you that shifted your perception on your life? I don't have to think about too many things. I guess do it anyways. Just in the midst of fear, do it anyways. In the midst of I don't know how, do it anyways. In the midst of my dad just died, do it anyways and honor him. In the midst of my mom's having to be forced into quitting her ministry for 37 years because of everything that's going on in the world right now and the devastation that that is for her and her heart. And you know what? But we're going to do it anyways. We're going to see, or we're going to keep persevering. We're going to keep going through. It's there's there's a new dawn every morning you know what are you going to do with it so beautiful just yeah. do it no matter how hard it gets just keep taking just do it anyways. taking action you know you gotta you gotta figure out what the, what the the opposite is right like okay so if, if this is going to stop you who's going to suffer what are, what are the consequences never mind just your family like do you want to make an impact on people around you in, in this world do you want to be bigger than yourself then you have to get out of yourself and know that the reason you're going to push through this adversity and this thing that's devastating, this thing, like, of course, if you have to mourn, mourn, like, whatever, just don't, don't let it stop you because you have a bigger, bigger plan. And that thing that you're going through, I have 100% belief and conviction that the things that we go through, even those, even when some of them are completely horrible and terrible, the reason that we will be seen through those things is that through those experiences, we will then be able to use that in, in, in the growth that we achieved and seeing us through, to help others on the other side of something else later when you don't even know what, what it is. So you get it, just get outside of yourself fast when you go through those things or fast ish <laughs> and keep, and keep going. Beautiful, man. Thank you so much for that. Uh, that might kind of bleed into this question, but we'll see. Uh, what is your definition of success and, and, uh, what did it take for you to come to that definition? Success is, is being able to look at yourself at the end and know that you lived in integrity. Did you follow through with what you said you were gonna do when you told somebody that, they were gonna, that you were gonna do it? You know, did you consistently, and more often than not, f- just fulfill expectations that you set for others? Did, you know, did you, did you make any kind of impact, right? Did you look outside of yourself, like we were just talking about, to, to other things like we weren't put on this earth to be heathenistic and, and always look inward we we're put on this world and 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 we're given certain blessings and certain gifts and certain abilities that are unique to us and to to of course take care of our own household first but if that's where you stop mm-hmm. 
you failed, man. Mm-hmm. If that's where you stop, you failed. It's it's success is is not achieving a like a certain stat, status. Success is did you make an impact? And anybody can make an impact. So there's no excuse. There's no excuse. There's there's billion, t- there's billionaires that don't do anything for the world. Right. You know, and and there's people that have nothing that make a huge impact. People that are missing limbs that are speaking and impacting lives that have way less yeah. than just normal people. Right. right. Beautiful. Uh, do you have a, a daily mantra or just a general philosophy that you live by uh, on life? I can, I will, I must. Powerful. So why do you think we are here as a human species? As a species? <laughs> do you have any thoughts I, I on thought that? you told me you didn't want to get in want me to get into theology but uh, <laughs> um, what's your truth well let me qualify that statement by, by saying that what I've learned in life is that there is only truth it's not my truth it's not your truth there are things that are true to us but the thing about truth is that you can't make true false. It's true. It's either true or it's not. And if it's not true, it's false, right? So there are truths in the world. And then there are stories that are made up to benefit the teller. Um, but why are we here on this earth as a human species? It comes down to a very basic principle that you can take theology out of if you want to, and that's just to love each other. That's it. That's why we're here. We're here to love each other, and if we do that, all the commerce and everything else that makes the world go around will happen naturally. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love that answer. If reincarnation is real, what animal would you want to be in your next life? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's two. Okay. There's two that I, that I would be, even though uh, I will say that I don't believe in reincarnation. Right. But I, I, I loved that animated King Arthur movie, you know, with Merlin and everything, where, where he gets to be uh, a fish and a bird, and, and Merlin gives him this, you know, the ability to look through the lens of different things in life, right? I always thought that was super neat. But uh, there's, there's two animals that are special to me. And one of them is the American bald eagle. I think it's majestic and powerful and just a representation of our ultimate American patriotism. So I love the eagle. I would definitely be an eagle because I like to fly. And uh, Or I would be a lion. The lion represents strength and endurance and power, but it also happens to represent the, the lion of Judah which is my Lord and Savior. So it's either one of those I think I'd be okay with. Powerful. Both very <laughs> elegant and strong creatures. Absolutely. Um, what is one quote that has resonated profoundly with you? Hmm. I'm sure there's many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What there, is one that you'd want to share with there, you? There's many. Yeah. But uh, you know what? I'm just going to go a completely different direction with this okay. and just give you 
give you something silly that makes sense. Okay. And it's like, that wants to do it, do it. And wants to don't do it, do it. So be one who does it. It's awesome. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, what is one of the most powerful invest investments you have made with no money? Complete straight, just personal development education. Awesome. There's so much available that costs you nothing but time. Right. Do it. The most valuable currency there is, right? Mm -hmm. If there is one word that comes to mind that sets your soul on fire, what word would that be? First word is Jesus. Second word is freedom. Beautiful. Yeah, I do love Braveheart. The movie. (laughs) (laughs) Great movie. If you had a chance to meet younger Ivan as a child and uh, share a piece of wisdom of what you have now learned to be true in life, what wisdom would you give to your younger self? Learn about real estate and computers earlier. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Mm -hmm. Can Can you explain, now that you have come this far, what do you think your next labyrinth or chapter looks like? That next chapter is going to be big. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's going to be big with impact and man, the, the footnotes are already been ri- being written and I can see it. Everything that I've done in my life and the relationships and I mean, I can see all those pieces, just how they kind of fit together and where things are going. And, and, uh, you know, one of my business partners and I talk often and, and just, we're creating a vision for, for 2022, which took me a few times to spit it out the, the 22. Cause I still want to say 21 cause I can't believe we're past 20 and, uh, right. <laughs> here we are. But because uh, this whole thing that we're in is just all about 2020. Right. But now we're going to be two years into it and, and uh, there's going to be, you know, my my goal in my mortgage business and what I talk to people about is is always, hey, I'm on a mission to help at least 70 people in the next six months. Right. And then I just leave whatever the conversation is after that. Like, what does that have to say? Right. How, and, and, and really what I'm looking for is what role can that person play in us helping other people together, right? And so as we do that, different things happen and being involved in real estate and mortgage and finance and private money and all those different things, it's, it's always about, okay, what can we do to create the next opportunity for multi-generational wealth, right? Because all, all the active stuff that we do, even though what, what I do is a very active income, very active business, it's, it's just always about the, the next generation. It's about the multi-generational wealth. And you can't do that on an active business. You have to do that on something that you create that runs or can run without you. Right. And, and that's, that's where the whole, um, residual income and opportunities in real estate investing are appealing to me. And because that's what I know. And that's where a lot of the people in my network know, like that's what we're looking to build further as we of course continue to grow the mortgage business. Wow. I'm excited to see what happens next year. Mm-hmm. Sounds amazing. So to our audience and the people listening, how can they get involved either in this upcoming cause, if you wish to disclose or just provide support for your cause in general through speaking, real estate investing, where can they find you? Hmm. Well, 
my digital business card, right? It's just, uh, I'm on, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. If you Google my name, probably the first thing that'll pop up is my LinkedIn. I would suggest you look for my Facebook because <laughs> it's, it's just a more engaging platform. And I, I found out that no matter how I try to engage there, even with people that reach out to me first, I get like very limited responses. So, uh, Facebook, uh, of course, I'm, I'm happy to have you text me. I'll give you my number, 805-236-2647. Happy to have a conversation, just get to know each other. and and uh, But that's that's really the best place. It's just we're out there in social, and that's why that's why you got to be mindful about what you put out there because you can't take it back. <laughs> and uh, just, just for context, uh, how do you spell your last name? O-B as in boy, E-R-O-N. Awesome. When you think of a great leader, who is the first person or image that comes to your mind? Of course, Jesus first and foremost. And hmm. people like Richard Branson and John Maxwell and Ed Dyer and I mean all, the, all those Tony Robbins like all all those greats absolutely you know, they're just and the reason that they're great leaders is because they're servant leaders that's I believe that's one of the things that make them awesome leaders beautiful uh, question number twenty what is your definition of a leader's labyrinth hmm I like that wordplay and the imagery actually. It works, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does, man. Because <laughs> you know anybody can be a leader in a, in a sense, mm-hmm. right? Because again, no matter where you are, you you are one step further than somebody else, right? So even though you may not be able to lead somebody that's ahead of you, you can see okay, what steps have you taken further than a person behind you, and you can lead them at least to where you are. Doesn't mean that person won't overtake you, right? But, and that's, I think that's one leader's greatest testimony is when their students or pupils or whoever they're leading become leaders because the number one objective of a leader should never be to just lead and always be out in front and, and, and have these minions, if you will, which I think mm-hmm. a lot of leaders, like they want to get into positions of leadership. The primary objective of any good leader has to be to create other leaders. Mm, and you can't that. do that unless you take them on the journey with you, unless you learn together, unless you do the back and forth, right? You're willing to do the whole, uh, always be teachable and that sort of thing, right? So there's uh, no ego in it. There's it's, no ego. Yeah. It's, it's no it's ego. Cert, like you said, Tony Robbins, Richard mm-hmm. Brent's service of others. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, I don't know if that answered the question, but it, it's, it's a great answer. So I'll, I'll stick with it. Okay. <laughs> right. So, this is called messages to mankind. This is a part of the show where it's a hypothetical question for every uh, one of our leaders here. Um, here's the question. If the whole world had stopped only to listen to one message from you and you are reaching every single human being on the planet, no matter where they are in the world, they can all understand you. And you got to carry forward this one message to all of humanity to help make an impact. What, me- what would your message be to mankind? That's so easy, man. It just goes back to my previous answer. And the number one message, if it 
were to make an impact and change everyone's behavior on a worldwide scale would be to love others. And unfortunately, I've had to qualify scripture that says love others as you love yourself because I've realized that a lot of people hate themselves. Right. A lot of people have self-loathing. A lot of kids are struggling with that. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it firsthand and it's devastating. So love others if you can put down everything else and because even even the most evil person in the world whoever whoever you you think of whoever comes to mind and of course a lot of people's minds go to hitler a lot of people's minds go to stalin a lot of people's minds go to who knows who else maybe not even a famous person could just be somebody that they know completely evil and horrible even that person loves something or somebody and if they could just focus the love that they have for that thing or somebody on everybody else, that's it. And the world changes. Beautiful. Beautiful. Ivan, you've emerged from the labyrinth, your own labyrinth, as a leader of strength, intelligence, creativity, and love. Um, what would you say to all the people who are kind of navigating the way through their labyrinths right now who um, are trying to do something meaningful as well? with their lives, but they may be stuck. Mm-hmm. Maybe they hit a dead end. They feel like thrown in the towel. The enemy in your life will oftentimes work to lead you to believe that you're alone and that you're unique in the struggle you're going through. And if he can convince you of that, you don't reach out for help and you think nobody can possibly understand or empathize or help you. The truth that you have to understand is that you're not alone and that there are other people to live life with you that can help you. And at the same time, sometimes if you're really stuck and if you're really struggling, you want to do something, sometimes all it takes is to take the attention off yourself again and figure out, okay, well, so-and-so needed help with something also along their journey, and I can, I can help with that. I need help with all these other things, but sometimes just, again, reaching out and handing something to somebody else to get you unstuck. But just know that you're not alone. There's so many people you can reach out to in your community, in your, even if it's just somebody on YouTube. Like that's That's the thing. One of the things that Brian Tracy said, taking me back to that, is that, your car is a four-year university and you get in mentorship with all these great minds through their books and podcasts and different things. So sometimes it might just be you're connected with one of these great men or women that have a, a book or an audio or something and just, just realize you're not alone. Incredible. Thank you so much for that wisdom. I just want to say congratulations and honor you for becoming the wonderful person that you are and opening your heart to us and sharing the truths that you've learned to be real in life and um, share with us your love mm-hmm. and um, and just being transparent and vulnerable and honest. Um, those are all just signs of great courage, great strength and growth. And um, also the path that you're on to still becoming a higher version of yourself. So I, I applaud and um, and thankful for Thank you, you and uh, 
thank, thank you for doing this and for helping all of us listening, guiding us through our labyrinths today. Thanks, man. Yeah, I didn't know what to expect. And, and uh, I mean, you were great. This is, it felt like we're in a relationship. It didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like so many other things. So I commend you for that too, because you, you made it real. And hopefully the audience will get that truth and that real spirit when they listen to it. That's what we're doing here, baby. All right. Great stuff. Thank you. Thank you for joining us in the labyrinth today with our leader, Ivan Oberon. To stay up to date on all the amazing things Ivan is bringing to the world, you can connect with Ivan at facebook.com forward slash Ivan Oberon or find him on Instagram at Ivan Oberon and visit his official webpage at ivanoberon.phmloans.com and let him know how his story had a positive impact on you. Please click the subscribe button for Leaders Labyrinth and leave a review on which pieces of wisdom resonated with you most and share with your friends so they too may find their way into the labyrinth as we are aiming to impact as many hearts as possible. We hope that today's episode was insightful, powerful, and sparked some inspiration into your life. As we all navigate the labyrinths in our own lives, remember to love all of who you are and share your love with the world as it will come back to you. Until we meet again in the labyrinth, my name is Michael Grant. Thank you for spending your time with us today. And remember to ignite your light.